JudgeCast. This is episode 109. With me, as always, my two Friday night co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Isn't it Tuesday? And Brian Philippin. I'm so excited about this episode, I could just plain or die. <laughs> you've, been, you've been waiting on that one a while, haven't you? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I, hope we all, I hope we get to play, Chase, so that makes sense. All right, so... Uh, for those who haven't figured it out, this is going to be another part in our series where we're covering every legal FNM format for some insane reason. Well, wait. Or, or at least most of them. <laughs> right. You forget that there's the Invent Your Own format, which yeah. might take a long time to, to cover those. I mean, yes. we've already seen people do that with uh, now that Tiny Leaders is beginning popularity. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, don't forget the, the variant of Tiny Leaders where you're covered in honey. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to and you have to beat the you have to now. opponent before you lick all the honey off of them whoa now hold on invention hey. format hey brian what i thought that was just between us oh <laughs> all right so okay one second oh, i forgot this wasn't the the fireside chat episode where we <laughs> stuff off here. nope i get to stop you guys again um so this one yeah we're gonna be talking about all the most of the fnm formats well, I guess if infinite is part of it, then a small percentage of the FNM formats. Um, if you want to hear other episodes about the FNM formats, you can see episode 105 about Commander, episode 81 about Two-Headed Giant, and episode 104 about a bunch of other formats. All the basics, standard, draft, sealed, all Do you that. realize that if episode 81 was Two-Headed Giant, that was a year ago? No. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that actually that episode's kind of big because it was like the first one where my cats are really mentioned. Yeah, and yeah, since... that was uh, we had we had all of your cats on that. I think that was the first one where we had all your cats mentioned. Yeah, yeah, we're like by name. Yeah, um, that's how we got so many likes on Facebook. All of your cats are mentioned actually. What's that, Jess? Uh, it might be the only one where all of your cats are mentioned actually. Yeah, I don't know because we we haven't needed three names in a while. Uh, hey, Emperor. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh so in this episode we're going to continue going down the list we're going to be starting with wizard's tower however since jess just already brought it up sorry i wasn't trying to go out of order man. no well there is like... no order for yours <laughs> so tell us for fine okay a little so, bit about this tiny tiny dudes tiny leaders is uh leaders. it's interesting because uh well i saw some local some people playing it locally uh at the local store and then I asked my my commander expert friend, Eric Levine, who was on our episode about commander. Uh, hey, have you heard of this tiny leaders format? And he said, yeah, I've been meaning to write about that. So he wrote an article about it. At the same time, somebody from Star City Games wrote an article about it. And then somebody else wrote it. Like there were three or four articles that came out all at once. So it kind of spiked the popularity. Um, and what it is, is similar to commander except it's designed to be a one versus one format best two out of three matches and you have a 10 card sideboard uh you play a 50 card deck including your 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 commander or your leader in this case and uh so 49 cards plus your commander and every card including your commander in your deck has to be at least i'm sorry it has to be uh less than four mana converted mana cost so three or less so three or less uh, and that that means that, like, I could play Court of Calling because it's, you know, X. Okay, G-G-G. so X, X, X is zero. X is zero. Yeah. OK. Um, but and and with things like split cards. So if one side is greater than three, I can't play it. Um, stuff like that. So it's it's okay. really interesting. It's, it's fairly fast, kind of aggressive format. 
Um, and it seems like a lot of fun. Uh, I'm building a deck. I know a lot of people here at my local store have a deck they played in between matches. And I'm hoping that it kind of keeps going and picks up. Uh, there's some people trying to convince our local store to run a Tiny Leader's FNM. Uh, I don't know if that's actually going to occur or not. But if it does, I will play in it. Singleton still, right? Oh, yes. I'm yeah. sorry. It is Singleton. All of the commander rules still apply, except it's uh, 25 life. Uh, okay. So it's got color identity. It's got color identity. How many uh, poison whatever. counters? Uh, I don't know if their rules address that. 12.5. Well, no, could probably still be 10, because com- regular commander's 10 still. Uh, no, yeah. com- I thought commander yeah. changed to 15, and it was no, two that's two giant. giant. Two at a giant. Oh, okay, I got him backwards. Giant. All yeah. right, then 10 it is. Man, I have a hard time. I have a hard enough time. Yeah. Like a tiny getting... leader's poison deck. That actually might work. I think it might work. I think now, you, you might have enough. Enjoy uh, your swamp there, mosquito. There, there, might, there might be enough. In fact, um, yeah, absolutely. Somebody should send me their take on it because I'm sure somebody's done it already. So if you're if you're listening and you've gone, I already built a tiny leader's poison deck. Let me see it because I'm excited about it and I, I want to know. And for those of you that are going, wait a minute, I thought you hated Commander. I still hate Commander. And uh, this is a, a more competitive uh, 1v1 format. So it's the kind of thing I can get behind. Unlike Brian, who is the opposite. Yes, <laughs> we had a long discussion about this. I prefer I prefer the the multiplayer social aspects where you can sit back and it doesn't matter who wins or loses as long as neat things happen. You know, see, I have a hard enough time, like, paring down to, you know, 100 cards or really like 60 after lands, right? I I don't think I could ever get down to 50. Well, the variance is lower in this format because you tend to see your cards uh, more frequently in your games. Yeah, but there's a lot of slivers Uh, in the world. Yeah. (laughs) Slivers. A lot of slivers. Um, how, it's like it's like choosing your children, right? And it has it has its own band list. Actually, because it has its own band list, I um, let me mention the site. Can we put it in the show notes as well? Absolutely. Um, it's tinyleaders.blogspot.com is the uh, is the official site for MTG Tiny Leaders, and they have the rules there and the band list. Uh, which strangely does not include brain freeze, uh, and you can you can see what's there. You know what? Huh? You can't have so you how how are you gonna build a sliver deck if you can't have Sliver Queen as the commander? I don't understand. That is this a good format. question. I don't understand that is an any of this. Question. <laughs> oh, what five color? There are no. Five, so that's the other cool thing is. You're guaranteed to be limited to three colors. It might be less, but yeah. you can't play a five color general. You can't play a four color general. You you have to play. And I've run into this in deck building too, where I'm like, I want to play all the colors. You can't. Uh, um, I can't pick three. Oh man. Uh, my deck is currently two colors. I'm I'm building a uh, Tesa, uh, so I can do crazy stuff with uh, what's the name of that card? I, I want to have dark, Tesa and Darkest Hour and play at the same time. Yeah. And yet you're still going to lose to Merfolk. <laughs> That's a possibility. I mean, Drowner secret, Secrets actually seem strong in this format, um, along with a lot of other Merfolk for obvious reasons. But anyway, yeah. so this is this is an example of a casual format that kind of it wasn't on Watsi's radar. They didn't list it in the mm-hmm. in the announcement, but people have kind of embraced it and gone. This is fun because it's fast enough to play in between rounds. The last time I was at FNM, I was asked four or five times by different people if I had a tiny leader stack to play. 
That's cool. And, and at least and at least you can like you can pair it, right? A lot of these formats we're about to talk about are gonna be kinda tough to pair. You just kinda figure it out, I guess. Or you have pods or whatever, but Oh, you mean for actually using for FNM? Yeah. 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 yeah, this is still this is still a one v one format. Yeah, and so it's can... designed to play best two out of three. So it actually translates very well yeah. to an actual tournament. As opposed to Commander, which is it, it doesn't unless you're playing dual commander, which people in this country apparently don't like. Yeah, I don't like it. No. It's it's yeah. I also don't like heads up poker. Does that is there a correlation? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't like hungry hungry hippos with only two hey, people. Hey, you know I've got hungry hungry hippos in my it's, living room. It's it's too loud. Like out out <laughs> too loud. and assembled in my living room right now. I I I do too. <laughs> we, right. we, play, we can we can play a game. Would you like to play? I'll I'll set it up. We'll turn the camera on. I'll set it up on Skype. We'll play. We'll play Skype. Hungry, hungry Jeez, that sounds like the loudest nonsense. Because really, because really, no, it's if, you played, format. if you haven't played it, it's just it's just clack 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 clack. <laughs> smash, smash, if you haven't played Hungry Hungry Hippos. What is wrong with you? All right, that'll be at the uh, hundred thousand dollar tier of our Kickstarter asterisk. There is no Kickstarter. But let's talk about the first format. Or the second one, sure. Uh, and that's Wizard's Tower. Wizard's Tower. Spooky. I actually have no idea what this is. Yeah, I think I, I said that. I think I said that when we talked about this on the FNM, the first FNM episode. I only I learned still... about it uh, today. Yeah. <laughs> but so I think it's cool. I, I when we when we set up to do it and I for some reason thought we were going to be able to power through more than like four formats. I was just like, I got all of these down. A bunch of them I forgot. Wizard's Tower was one of them. I yeah. We did six. This is this is, this 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 is kind of a weird format. So CJ, tell us what's up with. Oh, okay, Wizard's sure. Tower. So Wizard's Tower. Uh, so what you do is you're going to take nine packs, open them without looking at the cards, and shuffle eighty lands in. Uh, so that's sixteen of each basic land. Um, what this pile of cards is now going to be is a shared library for you and whoever you're playing with. I, I think it said you can do it with like two to five players. It's probably ideal. Um, you deal each player a hand of three cards from this shared library. What? Three? Yeah. Shared? Yep. Yeah. So you have this shared library. I love how we freak out about different things, see? <laughs> Brian and I can both agree there's something to freak out about here. Right. Right. <laughs> I, want, I want more cards. Jess doesn't want to share. So it doesn't have mulligans per se, but what it does is starting with the uh, whoever's going first, which you decided randomly, uh, they can discard any number of the cards in their hands and draw that many from the shared library, uh, and you do this in turn order, it, it sounds like you only do it once. Yeah. And then you shuffle all the discarded cards and put them on the bottom of the library. So you're not shuffling them into the library, you're just shuffling them and putting them on the bottom of the library. Seems like an unnecessary... Pro- probably because with a with nine packs stacked up, it'll mm-hmm. take a long time, and this is designed yes. just, just just get going. Um, then you, you take the top seven cards of the shared library, and you put them face up on the table. They're not in the graveyard, they're not in any zone, actually. Uh, if you want to, if you want to say they're in exile, I don't think anyone will mind too much. Mostly, I don't know, but but no, they're in the command zone. How about this? This this format was invented before the command zone existed, I think. So we'll say they're in the command zone. Sure, sure, but technically they gotta be, they gotta be somewhere. Yeah, technically the article says they're in no zone at all. Doesn't matter. Uh, you so you take the top seven, put them on the uh on the table face up. <clears throat> now, during your draw step, the first thing you do is you take one card from that pile. And put it into your hand. So it's kind of like a semi kind of sort of draft. But you're actually playing the game. Um, So you take one card from that pile and put it in your hand. And then you draw a card from the shared library. Uh, When it's your turn to take a card from that pile. 
the face-up pile. And there are no card. If there are no cards there, you just put seven new cards down, and you get to take one of those. Beyond that, it plays out like a basic game of free-for-all multiplayer magic. Um, the only weirdness is that you have a shared library and a shared graveyard uh, because it's a shared library. So if something says, you know, put a creature from target opponent's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, well, you can target any creature in the shared graveyard. Um, spells with, like, flashback become interesting because you got to really keep track of who has priority. Um I, I, I play a format all the time, which I think I'll talk about on another episode, but it also has a shared library and graveyard, so I'm uh, very familiar with what can go wrong there. Does it, does it address uh, who, the contr- who the owner of cards are? No, the article doesn't address that. Um, I would say, you know, if I, as someone who's just making it up, um, the I would controller say... controller and the owner are the same person all the time? Not uh, The way I've done it is not all the time are they the same person, but if it entered the battlefield under your control... It, you're the owner, um, I guess, unless gather specimens. I don't know. Make- you're using token rules. <laughs> we don't. We don't know. This stuff isn't completely Tur- clear. Turns out that you can make your own format, so you can have uh, you can have your wizard's tower go either way. Yep. Um, but that's about it. Stuff like brainstorm is cool because you're you're basically affecting what your opponent will draw. Um, yes, brainstorm out of your nine packs. Yeah. Yeah. It's a saga packs i don't know why that was the first set i could think of that has ice storm ice age (laughs) yeah um but yeah that's that's really it for wizard's tower uh everything else is pretty standard so basically on during your draw step you're gonna gain two cards one from the seven card pile one from the shared library yeah no it's kind of weird because you can get the the land issue you can potentially be screwed i guess that's maybe why they put the seven out there and you could yeah that's my theory so you be like, way, oh, I really need that swamp. Yeah, so you can just take that swamp. 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 <clears throat> okay. Right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, so this next this next format is one of my favorites. I, I wish I wish I could play it. What's that? I wish I could play it. I would really oh. like to play this format. This this format's really cool. Um, it's called Emperor. So, what what you need to play Emperor is you need six or nine people. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I guess you could probably do more if you're a masochist, but, uh, let's say with, let's talk about the, the normal version of emperor. Um, what you do is you basically have two teams of three. You sit across from each other. Um, you have a dude in the middle who is the emperor of the team and the other two players are his lieutenants or his generals, whichever, whichever non emperor word you want to use um and so what happens is the the object of the game is to kill the emperor okay the team is dead when the emperor is dead and the way you do that is you actually have to um this i guess this is where it gets kind of complicated there's this thing called range of influence uh which is the number of seats that your spells can affect and that you can you can you can see basically that you can see um so let's let's talk about range of influence for a second um let's let's say let's forget about emperor and let's just say we're playing uh five player free for all okay but we're using uh the range of influence of two oh sorry of one what that means is you count how many chairs over 
And that's the number. That's the number. Those are the people that you can affect. So even though there's five people in the circle, if there's a range of influence of one, I can affect the person to my right and the person to my left. The easiest way to sum this up is if I cast wrath at God, okay, I'm only killing the us through our creatures, me and the, the, the one person next to me. I'm leaving the two people uh, across from me untouched. Okay. Uh, so the way Emperor works is the generals have a range of influence of one. Okay. So a general, I can affect my emperor and I can affect the, the other general sitting across from me. The emperors <clears throat> have a range of influence of two, which means they can affect both of their generals and both of the, uh, uh, the other team's generals as well. Okay. So the emperors at the start of the game, the emperors can't affect each other. Now, as soon as one person dies, I say as soon as, uh, range of influence resets at the beginning of each turn. So, um, so when someone else dies, one of the, the, the generals die at the beginning of the next turn, the emperors can now see each other and they can cast spells and affect each other. How does this, uh, interact with effects that the winner lose the game? Um, the way it interacts with effects that win or lose the game is, (laughs) oh, I'm, I'm having to dig deep here. Good, good delay um, tactic there by just repeating the question. Yes, I should also have a drink of water. Oh, I'm really thirsty here. <laughs> just one moment. Let me, let me just take a. I actually, sip. I, I do know the answer to this question. Believe it or not, um, I, it's it's uh, basically what it causes. I think it says if we win, really, what that means is everyone else within your range of influence loses. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm a general uh, and I play a, an effect that says I win the game, then you you make your team. Then win. I make what's that? <laughs> if you're the emperor and you play an effect that says you win the game, no. Well, if, no I, if, if, I'm, if I'm the general, if I'm the general and I have an effect that says I win the game I'll, during my upkeep, I win the game. Like uh, fell the fell uh, uh, what is it? That sovereign fell dark. Felt our sovereign. Okay, it says I have forty or more life. I win the game during my upkeep. So during my upkeep, I have more than forty life. Um, I win the game. What that means is because I have a range of influence and my only opponents that are in my range of influence is the one guy sitting directly across from me. He is going to lose. He's now dead. Okay. It only affects the opponent. Right. So now I end my turn. Okay. Then the opposing emperor gets to go. And basically he really needs to kill my, uh, Felidar sovereign felt. What is it? What's what's the name of the card? Our sovereign. You got it. Our sovereign. Okay, it's going to come all the way back around to me again, and during my upkeep, it's going to say, "I win the game." And what that means is my opponents lose, which I can now see uh, the other opponent, uh, the the emperor, and he is now going to lose, which means my team wins. So I actually had to win the game twice in order to actually win once. Well, luckily, next upkeep he'll trigger again. Yeah. So um, combat is kind of is is interesting in the sense that even though spells have a range of influence of one or if I'm an emperor, I have a range of influence of two. You can only attack the person seated right next to you if they're uh, on the opposing team. So at the beginning of the game, you have two emperor, the emperors in the middle uh, flanked. Uh, by both uh, both of their lieutenants. So the lieutenants are, or generals or whatever are directly across from each other. So they have to attack into each other and basically plow through the other, you know, generals. They're essentially 20 points, uh, 20 life point uh, speed bumps on the way to the emperor. 
so it's really kind of cool. Um, there is a deploy creature option, which says uh, all creatures have tap, target teammate gains control of this creature, activate only if you could cast a sorcery, or activate only when you could, you could cast a sorcery. So the general can kind of, or the emperor rather, can cast creatures and give them to his buddies. Or, if you're like me, because I love playing this format, I would do something like play a creatureless deck and then cast uh, Insurrection on my turn, mm-hmm. gaining control of all of everybody's creatures, including the two generals that I could see. And then, because it gives them haste, I would use the deploy creatures option to give all the creatures to one of my generals, and then have yeah. him. And then, because of the way the control effects end at the end of my turn, uh, he gets to keep them all. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but active treason's really good. Uh, yeah. Wow. And, and so, uh, uh, you just plow them all through. But yeah, I would do uh, any of those things that let me like uh, swap creatures out or anything like that. Uh, and you just give them all there and let them plow through, and it's all it's good fun. Um, Emperor kind of some some groups kind of devolve where the emperors are just playing like degenerate combo decks and sitting behind walls and stuff like that. Um, but you can you can have like a really fun game um, when you do when you go first. Uh, one of the emperor you decide which team goes first. The emperor goes first on that team, and then it goes around in a circle. So. So what's going to happen is uh, it's going to go to the left. So the the emperor is going to go first. One of his guys is going to go the lieutenant on his left. And then it's just going to go around. The other team's going to get to go. All three of their guys are going to go. And then it's going to circle back around to to the to the guy on your right. Um, so, yeah, resources not shared. It's a really fun format. It's just really hard to find six people. Uh uh, who are willing to play this, but it's a blast. Um, we could have a judge cast uh, one, and it could be CJ, Dunks, myself versus Battle Cat, Bitty Kitty, and Milkshake. Thank you. Or the three people who put in $10,000 in our Kickstarter. Or whoever it was that was the thousandth like on our Facebook page. Yes. Yeah, we need to find out who that guy is. Yeah, uh, by the way, we have a thousand likes on our Facebook page. Thank you. We've all also been, go like, like our Facebook page yeah. if you don't already. Oh wait, been, we're, uh, a thousand, we're a thousand and one. You were actually a thousand and one. It's funny because we were all kind of independently watching it, and like because once one of us mentioned we were getting close, all of us were like, "Yeah, we know." Because we we weren't talking about it, but we were all just watching. Yeah, it. We, we sat at like was it nine ninety five for like a week. Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah. Me- meanwhile, uh, like I, th- I think I said bitterly, like tiny leaders got like more than a thousand in like a day and a half. Or something <laughs> well, like if that. we had an article written about uh, about us on all the main magic websites simultaneously, we'd probably. Well, I think it's time to get start more like a tiny leaders cast. Uh, OK, <laughs> there's an opening. <laughs> I'm down. Let's right. do it. Uh, I'm not sure there's enough content for that, but all right. Okay, so the last two, so 1,000 and 1,001 were George Salmons and Nestor A. Marcial. All right. I don't know which one of them was 1,000 and which one of them was 1,001, but thank you. Thanks to both of you. Yes. Woot woot. Woot 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 woot. Yeah. Yeah. Now we just now now we need to like a few people to like unlike the show just so they can like it back and we can we can like constantly be hitting one thousand. Yeah, that's okay. No. So uh, one last thing, just for Emperor to be clear. So range of influence, like like we said, it basically means you can't do 
anything to anyone outside your range of influence, but anyone inside your range, you can do whatever one, like attack them or whatever. It's only the emperor specific rules that say you have to attack someone next to you. But in other formats that use range of influence, like one day when we reach grand, grand melee, melee, um, you'll see that the, the, uh, the range of influence doesn't restrict who you can attack except beyond those, no. only to those who are in your range. But beyond that, it's infra specific that says it's got to be someone sitting next to you. And uh, I guess one one more thing: where the emperor has a range of influence of two. So what this what this means is is at the beginning of the game he can mess with the general and the general can't mess back. Like if the general goes to cast a cre- uh, the uh, opponent's team's general, so one of the enemy generals goes to cast a creature spell. And the emperor goes, no, counterspell that. The general can't be like, okay, well, I'm going to negate your counterspell because he can't see it. Yeah, it can affect it can affect. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of like the, the emperor can be this sniper where he just sits back and is like, pow, that's gone. And you can't do anything back to me. Nah. Uh, the the rules um for limited range of influence get really complicated really really quick though dealing with things like well what if a player needs to make a choice and he's outside your range of influence how do you handle that yeah uh, and we're not going to go into any of that because yeah. we could almost do a whole episode on just the weird corner cases that come around with range of influence there's a lot but they are they are in the this is all from the comp rules like it's in there uh, yeah. Section 801. Yep, you so. could go read it. We know you're not gonna, but you can. Yeah, but you could. <laughs> I mean, come on. If you could read the comp rules, you wouldn't be listening to us, right? <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, we're here for the bitty kitty battle cat talk. That's what you like. Thousand and one of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have more than more listeners than that. No, just the thousand. That's just Facebook. Okay, sure. Every single person <laughs> who listens also liked us on Facebook. Ex- well, yeah, that actually doesn't even account for all the people that listen. Shh. I know. I'm saying. <laughs> I know we have a lot more listeners than that. We definitely have more than a thousand. Like, I'm always shocked whenever I see the numbers. By the way, thank you for listening. Like, because I'm always look at it and I'm like, yeah, a few people listen to our podcast. And then I look at the numbers. I'm like, oh, God, people are listening <laughs> to what I say. That's scary. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just need that uh, channel fireball sponsorship like limited resources. We'll get we'll get LSV on the show. Oh, yeah. he, he lapsed actually, as far as I know. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. All card right. King, card Kingdom ships really really fast. <laughs> yeah. Let's call them Card Kingdom. They got an opening. <laughs> um. <laughs> hey. So I think this this next format is named after a uh, Georgia judge, Michael Starr. Uh, but it's missing an R. Yeah, right? that's weird. I think it's named after him. Jess, are you familiar with this format? Uh, not really. Um, and oh. by I, I'm kind of familiar. And by kind of familiar, I mean I've, I've heard of it. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about it. I've never played it, but I I've learned learned about it a long time ago. I've always, I love this format. Yeah, I've always wanted it, to play it. it. It does seem like the kind of thing that would be fun to play. Yeah. So to play star, you need exactly five people with any decks. Um, although my favorite way is this, each person has a monocolor deck and they're all different colors. That'd be my mm-hmm. favorite, but you can actually do it with five decks. Right. It requires a little bit more setup. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to get a game going where you just have like you just have five five people with random decks as opposed mm-hmm. to okay, you play the green deck yeah. and you play. I don't want to play the white deck. I played the white yeah. deck last time. I just was working on a green deck, but I I'd have a green deck. Or you, um, if you want to be super cute, you could be like you could have a Jeskai deck 
and all that. Oh, yeah. But anyway, um, so either seat them randomly around the table or if you're playing um, with monocolor decks, seat them in Wooburg order. order. Uh, and so basically what this happens, this does not have limited range of, of influence, even though what I'm about to say might sound like it. This is not the same thing. Uh, the players to your left and your right are your allies and the players across from you are your enemies, just like on the back of a magic card where it shows the five colors in the in the color wheel color pie, whatever we call that. Mm -hmm. So basically you win the game when the players across from you are eliminated. So if you're if you're white, mm -hmm. then when red and black are eliminated, uh, uh, you win. You win. So it gets interesting here because your allies only want one of your sh you only share an enemy with one of them. The other one is one of their allies. Right. So they they kind of want to help you kill one of the guys, but not the other one. Yeah. Um, so so here we go. If so, again, I'm white. I want to kill black and black and red. Right. OK. Uh, CJ is blue. He's fine with me killing red. But as soon as I start beating on black, he's like, whoa, no, no, no. I need to stop Brian from beating up on black. Right. So I'm going to cast spells. And at that point, it almost kind of sort of devolves into a game of Munchkin at that point where you're kind of trying to screw over your ally when he's trying to kill your other ally. So, yeah. So basically what happens is, uh, like I said, it's not range of influence. You can cast spells on anyone's cards. But if anything calls for an opponent, then that's only your two, the two guys across from you girls uh and if some and you can only attack your two opponents as well but you could still like you know in the case where i'm blue and black is my ally and brian's white and he's attacking black i could still doom blade his creature if i really feel like it's necessary i can do you know anything like that i can interact with my allies in any way using spells i can just only attack you can boomerang opponents. you're you're playing blue you can oh yeah yeah i can boomerang <laughs> Um, you could pogify, my friend. Yes. Oh, or that, or that new manifest card. Yeah, I saw that. Sweet. Um, yep. So, like I said, if you have no more opponents, you win. Well, you have to have no more opponents and still be in the game. If you're eliminated and then the other players happen to take out your two opponents, oh well, you still don't win. Um, and because of this format, uh, because of how this is set up, it's possible for two players to have their final opponent lose at the same time. So both of those players win. Right. It's it's also possible for you to sit back and just like, oops, I win. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like like accidentally you're someone else gives you the win. They're not right. paying attention. Right. Like you're just sitting there and and, you know, uh, black's been eliminated and then someone just randomly kills red and is like, oh, I guess white wins. And the white guy's like, what? What? Oh, what? I was I was buying a soda from the from the front counter. I was playing nothing but moats and et cetera. <laughs> Propaganda? Yes. Oh, is that blue? Man, I got to colors of cards. You're thinking of Ghostly Prison. Yes, I am. So, okay. That's Star. I like Star. It's yeah. fun. Um, next it up. Does, it does. Well, sorry. It does. No, no. That first player gets eliminated, though. It, it The game suddenly changes into this. Into this. Uh, uh, I got to stop you from killing this guy that'll let you win and trick you into helping me kill the guy so I can win. Right. Yeah. It's, it's another one I've always wanted to try one day. I guess I gotta get some friends or two more friends. Well, I mean, just one, really, because all you need is like, you know, you got Bitty Kitty, Milkshake, and that's Battle. true. I'm gonna try and say their names as much as possible this episode. Okay. All right. Arch Enemy. I have no idea how to play Arch Enemy. I. I it's been a while, but I do enjoy Arch Enemy. All right, go for it. Um. So 
Arch Enemy is interesting in that it has two teams, but it's the only format I know of where the teams are not even. In most formats, you have teams of, you know, Hitchwood Giant has teams of two, for example. Um, in Arch Enemy, you have one person who is the Arch Enemy and everyone else who's playing. And that's that's usually more than one person. Um, and all of those people share turns like they were a two-headed giant team. So they all do stuff at the same time, which is kind of chaotic if you do it with more than, say, three people. Um, I The most I ever played Arch Enemy with, I think I had five enemies, and I was the Arch Enemy. <laughs> um, and that was insane, and it was a lot of fun, but it was insane. Um, and you play with an extra deck of cards called the Scheme Deck that has at least 20 cards and no more than two of any given Scheme card. Uh, the Arch Enemy starts at 40 life, and the other team, each player on the other team, starts at 20 life, um, just as normal. Uh, and the Arch Enemy always goes first because theoretically he's at a disadvantage. He or she is at a disadvantage right. because they are one against many. Um, and the Arch Enemy cards are, are awesome because they're all fun things that you get to say, like you get to flip over an Arch Enemy card and it's, you know, have you met my evil cohort? And it lets you search your library for a planeswalker and put it into play. Um, and so it's fun stuff like that. And um, so speaking of the scheme cards, yeah. uh, the first thing you do in your main phase, your first main phase as the arch enemy is you flip up one of the scheme cards uh, and they're big oversized cards. And that's called setting a scheme in motion. And the scheme does whatever is printed on the scheme. Like the one I just described searches your deck for Planeswalker. There are some that search your deck for lands. There are some that kill creatures uh, that can do anything. And you don't know. It's just random. Uh, and then it's put face down in the scheme deck. So you can keep rotating through them. Um, yeah. There are some ongoing schemes. I was going to say, just to be overly technical, I guess um, most of these schemes, when you turn them face up they have a they have a trigger when you mm -hmm. set the scheme in motion sorry yeah uh, yeah you're right it's a trigger it's... so you could stifle it and even if you stifle it it's still gonna after the trigger is gone off the stack it's going to go on the bottom the scheme is bottom yes the because that's not part of the triggered ability yeah yeah that's that's true that's a good point i didn't play with anybody that played stifle uh but yeah that uh i suppose that's a thing especially now that stifle is easier to get because it was in command uh in uh conspiracy oh, that, right. that, that's more likely um so that could be a thing. Yeah, for sure. You could you could stifle it. Uh, there are ongoing schemes um, which stay face up until something else causes them to go away. Uh, so like something might say it might be something just an ongoing continuous effect like an enchantment would normally have um, that just continuously has an effect until it goes away. And there's one, for example, that says opponents can't cast more than one spell a turn. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if no one casts a spell since your last turn ended, abandon this scheme. So so you could have this going up and still turn up another regular scheme or even another ongoing. Yeah, scheme. you could have multiple ongoing schemes simultaneously. Nice. Um, in, in reality, if you, you know, what's really fun about being the arch enemy, if you build a deck specifically for it, is you get to play cards that you don't always get to play. Like Hex, for example, is a great card if you're the arch enemy. Destroy six target creatures. Yeah, when which... killing five isn't enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you have to have six targets. So a lot of times that card is just overkill and you, you never actually get what you want to do with it in 1v1 formats. And even in Commander, 
Right. There aren't always six creatures to kill, and if there are, they're like squirrels. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's in this format, it's it can be more useful. That's just one example. Um, did I answer all the the? I kind of zipped through that. Did I answer all the arch enemy stuff? I have I have one one arch enemy question for you. Yes. Okay. Um, is this I'm a gonna question or is this a, no? It's a real, I'm okay. gonna read you something and I want you to explain it to me. Oh okay. boy. Okay. Rule 704.5W. Right. In an arch enemy game, if a non-ongoing scheme card is face up in the command zone and it isn't the source of a triggered ability that is triggered but not yet left the stack, that scheme card is turned face down and put onto the bottom of its blah, 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 blah. Sure, what? Okay, the arch, the arch enemy, uh, the, the question is, what? And that was the rule that, like, before the show, I kept, I was just staring at it, and I was like, what is yeah. this trying I to think, say? I, I think it's I'm trying to say that if you stifle the effect, it still goes to the bottom. Yeah, it's saying it, the, it sits there face up until that triggered ability resolves right. or is removed right. from the stack. It's right, just, exactly. It's just really weird to get your head around it, but yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I believe, I believe the, the rules for miracle are actually worded the same way that you keep it revealed until yeah. the triggered ability resolves. Yeah. Probably. Uh, yeah. So that's basically that. That's that. Um, so, I think so, when I was playing this, to be honest with you, I think when I was playing this, we messed it up um, in that we didn't, we did it during the upkeep, not during the main phase. I don't think that had any significant effect, but so, so the other two, three, four guys that aren't the arch enemy, they're taking a simultaneous turn. Yeah. Okay. That gets chaotic. So it, it works a lot like Two-Headed Giant does in that regard. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's and that's why it's so much fun. You get to sit there and watch them all try to figure out how to kill you. Uh, if it's not obvious, I love playing the Arch Enemy, and, and I'm happiest in that role. Um, but like you get to sit there and watch them all try to figure out how to kill you while you know what's in your hand and they don't. Um, I feel that this is very telling about Jess in some form or fashion. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? I don't know. Just I love being in the arch enemy yeah. role. Just like sitting the, back and watching them trying to figure out how to kill me and laughing maniacally the whole time. The pieces are all there. We just haven't put them together yet. Like, I know, but right? We're close. What, 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 what pieces are you trying to figure out? Like, I don't know. Uh, sh- we 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 need to figure this out. We're putting together a puzzle, and we don't have the box, right? So we don't know the end product, but yeah, we know the edges first. Come on, mm. Jess. You you said you like to watch people figure out how to beat you, so okay. we're just we're just figuring that out. All right, yeah, plane chase. It's actually the the puzzle is actually a picture of of it's a a campaign poster for Jess Dunks for Miss Trigger's president. To bring back a really old joke. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, was that the lapsing abilities one? Mm-hmm. That was. I think what? it might have been after lapsing abilities. Oh, okay. I think it was when they changed it back. Okay. Uh, I still like that example time with Professor Dunks. That yeah, that's my favorite thing. So do I, uh, except now that I've been mistaken for a, so this happened for those of you that, that aren't my Facebook friends or follow me on Facebook. Um, I recently started, uh, school and went back to class or went back to school rather. And, uh, the first day I was there, somebody else was new there and was lost and asked if I could give them directions. And I told them I couldn't because I was also new. And they said, oh, really, what do you teach? And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm also a student. You're, you're old. Yeah, I'm old. So <laughs> I get to be old man on campus um, for a while. That's going to be interesting. All right. Well, keep playing chasing that rainbow. Uh, uh, is that a say? Is that is that that's an old school CJ segue? Is what that is. It is. It is. It's been a while since I did. CJ. It's been a while since you did one of those. Um, 
we're all about old stuff this episode i love it yeah so <laughs> i guess i guess i'll talk about plane chase a Yay, little bit plane chase. um so plane chase you can actually have two or more players um okay so here okay here's the deal before we start uh-oh. There's Plane Chase, much like Monopoly, almost everyone plays a variant of it. They don't play the actual way you're supposed to be Plane Chase. So we're going to describe how everyone plays the variant first, <clears throat> and then we'll talk about how you're actually supposed uh, to play it. I'd like, well, to, I'd like to clarify something real quick. People play Monopoly? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let me, let me before, before we talk about uh, uh, that, I just want to say this, this, I feel like this Plane Chase, or, because this... Plane Chase evolved out of another format. Did it? I, I don't know the story. Yeah, so it evolved yeah. out of chaos. Okay, is what it was called, or at least that's how that's how I was introduced to it. And I even got introduced to it because I don't know if you guys used to play like D anD. d You're familiar with this uh, this this item in D anD. d called Wand of Wonder. Of course, I am. Okay, so the Wand of Wonder was was a wand where you'd be like, I'm gonna use it, and you go to use it. And you roll a d20 or percentile dice, and whatever you roll, you go to a table and you look up what you got. And it might be something like... So it's a it's, random effect? It's a completely random effect. So it it's a wabajack. It's a what? It's a wabajack. Yeah, whimsy. From Skyrim, it's a wabajack. Okay, no, it's a wand of wonder from <laughs> DMT, <laughs> where it might shoot like it might shoot like a thousand pieces of gold out the end. It might shoot butterflies. It might summon a meteor from outer space that strikes your opponents. It might turn someone into a flesh golem, stuff like that. But it might, it might do good things too, like or bad good things, like it might heal your enemies. Kind of. Yeah, it might. It might do. It was completely random, and so what people did was they actually created these lists where it's like every turn during your upkeep you would roll some dice and you'd get a number and then you'd go and consult this list and like people had their own lists or maybe they made uh they made uh, a little side decks with like damnations or shatters or stream of lives or whatever and just stuck them in there and then you just flipped over a random card and that's the effect that you got um so that was kind of the the origin of plane chase so okay back to okay. you CJ. <laughs> so kind of along those lines to in order to play plane chase in the way we are describing it uh what you're going to have is a shared planar deck which according to the official rules has to have at least 40 cards or 10 times the number of players whichever number is smaller so if you have two players 20 card deck is fine and no more than two times the number of uh players that amount of phenomenons when we'll describe a phenomenon a little bit later so these are phenomena phenomena these are um these are all oversized cards just like the schemes we were all thinking it brian just said it i know you also need a uh, something that's called a planar die but you can use a six-sided die because a planar die is just a six-sided die with four blank spots one chaos spot and one planeswalk spot um so you could say one is chaos six is planeswalk and call it a day so when you start the game, you reveal the top card of the planar deck, and then that that top card is what's in effect for right now. Um, it could say, you know, black creatures get plus one, plus one, or whatever. It, it can be all kinds of things. The uh, planar cards can be pretty wacky. Or it's, there's ones like when you plane chase here, put a zero one one goat token into play, something like that. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. So basically, that's how the game goes. And so that's that's the active plane. That's where we currently are. It affects all the players. And if you're like, I don't want to be on this plane anymore, 
Uh, what you can do is, as a special action, whenever you have priority, whenever you can cast a sorcery, basically. So whenever your priority stack is empty on your main phase, you can roll the planar die that I mentioned earlier. If it hits chaos, then there, all the planes have like a chaos thing. Uh, I think the goat one gives you three goats. I don't know. Something like that. Um, but they have some kind of chaos effect that happens. If the planar die hits planeswalk, then once again, to be technical, it puts this little triggered ability that planeswalks on the stack. When that ability resolves, you take the the revealed card, the revealed planar card, put it on the bottom of the planar deck, and reveal the next one. Um, a little bit more about the planar die. After you roll it the first time, it costs one mana more per roll. So the second roll costs one mana, the third roll costs two mana, so on and so forth. That just prevents yep. you from rolling it infinitely. <clears throat> Yep. There's there's a plane chase variant that a friend of mine suggested a long time ago, and it just occurs to me now. Um, the, he wanted to do a tournament where the entire tournament was on a plane, and like every ten minutes there was there was a a planer die rolled to see what would happen to the whole tournament. I did I did something very similar actually. Me I had me and three friends, um, and by that I mean stuffed animals. I keep upstairs. We were doing two <laughs> duels. And then we had a shared planar deck in the center. So we each were doing two separate duels and we could roll the planar die, but it affected both of us. So, you know, I, I remember I was in the middle of combat and I think I, I was trying to go as fast as I could because I saw the guy to my left was rolling the die. And uh, I think all my creatures like lost death touch in the middle of combat. Um, Super awkward. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, no, go, go, go. Well, but, so the, oh, sorry. I was going to say we didn't finish <clears throat> talking about this variant of plane yeah. chase. So, so there's actually uh, one other rule in in plane chase that I, I, I don't think we've we've fully explored, and that is the rule that says uh, about six turns into the game, uh, you settle on a plane that everyone kind of collectively agrees isn't so bad, and yeah. you just don't roll the planar dice anymore. Mm. I always roll it. I, I, t I tend to try and mix things up too, but I've I've found that when you play, uh, it helps to have people who are paying attention because otherwise, uh, like every time a person starts the turn, they're always like, "What does that plane do again?" Yeah, and eventually you get to a plane where it's just all creatures get plus two, plus two, and then everyone just kind of collectively <laughs> agrees, yeah, not to think about the planes anymore and just stay there. Yeah, the important part about that planar die rolling planeswalking is being a trigger is everyone gets one last round of priority before that trigger resolves. So because there's some planes where they'll be like, you know, all your creatures can tap for green or whatever. So maybe you want to tap them out before you move on to the next plane. So you have some floating mana, uh, stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, so the only thing we haven't mentioned yet is phenomenons. Not going to do it. OK, Phenomena. so, phenomenons da, 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 da. are also in your planar deck. And when you reveal them. They have some effect, such as, but not limited to, destroy all creatures. And <laughs> okay, so when you reveal them, they'll do their effect, and then you put them on the uh, bottom of the planer deck, and you move on to the next plane. So they just have this little one-shot effect, like kind of like an instant. And that's really plain chase. <laughs> You can use whatever decks you want, all the, all the basic stuff. So that's that's the variant that everyone plays. I've never seen anyone not play this way. 
Um, the way you really play is if you choose not to buy a property, you have to auction it, which actually speeds up the game. So it's kind of it surprising. It does. It does. Actually, yeah. uh, and but, free parking isn't a real rule either. Yeah. So Monopoly is probably a better game if played by the rules. And like, can you imagine if you design that game and you're like, no, this is so much better, but nobody plays by it. And then everyone complains about your game. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the real <laughs> way to play plane chase <laughs> is um, is that each player is actually supposed to have their own planar deck. Uh, the rules for that are that it has to have at least 10 cards, can't have any, uh, can't have more than two of any one plane, and have no more than two phenomena. And so uh, the starting player starts with their top, uh, the top card of their planar deck revealed. And whenever someone playing walks, planes walks, um, their top card will go away and the new planar deck. So, you know, if it's me, Brian, Jess, I have my planar card out. Brian didn't do anything. Jess planes walked. Um, my card will be go back face down on the bottom of the library, and Jess's will now become the active plane. So that's how yeah. you're supposed to play, but no one does. Why would you? Yeah. The, this this also causes some weird rules um, <clears throat> with regard to okay. So whenever you're playing in multiplayer, there's kind of this whole this whole spiel uh, where if I own something and I get eliminated with with you know, with those triggers on the stack or that kind of thing, those things get removed from the game. Mm -hmm. uh, Plane Chase has a bunch of exceptions where it's like if you're playing by your, you know, if you've got your own planar decks and you get eliminated, then it's kind of got rules about ownership shifting around just kind of enough so that the game still works. You know, so it's like uh, so like if you plane chase or if you planes walk away from something or to something, those those things still happen in, in, intuitively. Uh, like I said, there's there's a lot of rules for it. It, it goes pretty deep. Uh, it's kind of corner casey, but but don't don't try and overthink it too much. You know, uh, dealing with player death uh, and how you deal with uh, with ownership of the planes. <clears throat> yeah, we used to have the old standby of this is not a sanctionable format so who cares yeah and now it is i mean but but this it actually there are rules that go over this yeah uh the the end result is it works like you think it does so long as you don't try to overthink it right and that's probably the easiest way to to, to phrase all that or you can just go and read 901.10 and 901.11 so much fun. Oh, okay, I will. Oh, and 901.2, a two-headed giant plane chase game. Yeah. Oh, no. Whatever. Just just say no. Uh, Arch enemy commander plane chase. <laughs> I have uh, done star commander before, and that was fun. I've done um I've done plane chase commander. This commander just wasn't slow enough. Yeah, that adds like an hour to the game, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes. Um so we got we got a few extra minutes here. And I think we can do this. Let's let's go off script a little bit and talk about Grand Melee. Melee. Ugh. Oh, you're going to make me read about turn markers, aren't you? I'm going to make you tell us everything because I don't know anything about it. But we already covered a uh, range of influence before. So I think I think now's a great opportunity. <clears throat> All right. So this is going to this is going to require me reading a little bit from the. OK, Jess, help, help me out here. How familiar are you with Grand Melee? Not at all. OK, OK. I almost swore. Uh. Okay, so Grand Melee is something that I think they play like they have a big game at Gen Con each year, and that's about the only time anybody ever hears about it. Um, so the way it works is 
Imagine for a second a uh, hundred people playing one game of Magic. Okay, uh, seems kind of miserable um, <laughs> because you think it takes a long time for your turns to come back around in Commander. Well, you got to wait for ninety-nine people to take their turns. Well, no, you don't. You get these. Uh, the, you get these thing. These turn markers, which are kind of like the the little markers that you get at the Brazilian steakhouse. And <laughs> what you do is. I think it's uh, – well, before we get to turn markers, so each player has a range of influence of one, okay? Uh, you also use the attack left option, which means you can only attack the person on your left. So if you really, really want to attack the person on your right, well, you've got 98 other people that you got to go through in order to get <laughs> attack all the way to the left to get around to that guy. But you can lightning bolt him. Oh, yeah. You can lightning bolt him. Interesting. Um – so you get these turn markers, and what they basically allow you to do is for multiple players out of these hundred to take simultaneous turns. Uh, I want to say you get one turn marker for each four four players. That's right. Um, I get to sound like a genius because I'm looking at the rules. Yeah. So if you've got if you've got a hundred people, then you're going to have twenty five turn markers. If you have ninety. Seven players, though, you are going to have 24 turn markers. So you round down. What if you have 1,289? Whatever. <laughs> All right, carry on. <laughs> Just whatever. Divide that by four, and that's what... what oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, so, every, so everybody... So you put these little turn markers all around... And uh, when everyone's done with their turn, it advances one spot. The turn marker advances one spot, and the the you know so one uh, one five nine get to take their turn, and then it advances so two six ten get their turn, and so on and so on and so on. Um, now, uh, when someone dies. I hate you going off script. Uh, I thought you knew Grand Melee. I got to reread this stuff every time because it's like, okay, so if a player leaves the game. I know it means I read it once. Yeah. Okay, so if someone just dies, it doesn't it doesn't impact the the turn markers unless it reduces the uh, the number uh, by four. Uh, And what I mean by that is. Um, so I've got 20 players, so I've got four, uh, uh, five turn markers. One person dies going to 19. That means I'm going to drop to four turn markers. But if the next person dies, we go down to 18. We're going to leave four. The next person dies, we go down to 17. You're going to, you're going to leave it there until you're going to stay at four turn markers until you go from 16 to 15. Um, I don't know how you pick. Okay, if a player leaves the game that would the leaving player would reduce the number of turn markers in the game, the turn marker immediately to the departing player's right is designated for removal. Okay, so that that turn marker goes away. Uh if more than one player would leave the game simultaneously, those players would reduce the number of turns. Uh, you'd use the lowest number. The marker with the lowest number is designated for removal. So I guess that you have marker one and marker two and marker three. All right. So uh, some other interesting things, and by interesting, I mean miserable things about this format. <laughs> uh, Karn uh, restarts the game. If you restart the game with Karn, it restarts the game for everyone. Not just the range of influence of one. 
Um, and a fully leveled up lighthouse chronologist is miserable. So uh, if you are going to run those formats, I would suggest banning those two cards. Lighthouse so, chronologist. Lighthouse chronologist creates problems because I I think the way it works is. Uh, it just kind of causes all the turn markers to kind of uh, queue up on the on the right to the to the you know a few spots to the right of the person that's taking all the extra turns. So, like, <clears throat> if I'm done with my turn and someone else isn't done with their turn, do, do we wait? Uh, I think I think you can actually keep going, but there's something about the turn marker can't advance if there's another turn marker kind of close to it. Like it can't advance into, and you're asking this question because you read it, the, the rule. No, I don't, I don't know the answer. No, if, uh, a yeah, player. it's, it's some, it's something somewhere in here. It's sort of like if the turn marker would advance a spot or would advance, uh, a player. And that player is within like, like two hops of a turn marker. That's already, that's further down. Then you kind of have to wait. So it's almost like zone drafting, right? Where you you've been handed a stack of cards, you've made your pick, and you want to pass it off to the left, but you can't because the the the, the guy to your left hasn't picked up uh, the last stack that you laid down. So you kind of just have to sit there and hold on to those cards and not do anything until he picks them up, and then you can put your stack down. Hmm. It's it's conceptually like that, but I don't I don't know how many spots the turn marker has to be from there okay well i think that's fine when when i threw in grand relay i thought all it had to do with range of influence i didn't even know about these turn markers i didn't oh i i didn't realize <laughs> so great job oh okay we went in deep so i think i think we're ready to move on to each turn news. marker represents its own stack yeah i yeah that's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all good here. Yeah, because the next line has, if a player has priority for multiple stacks, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm <Right>. done. <laughs> I know we're supposed to be educational. I'm done. <laughs> multiple stacks. Uh, all anyway, right. A player who receives a turn marker can't begin his or her turn if any player in, in the three seats to his or her left has a turn marker. If this is the case, that player waits until the player four seats to his or her left takes the other turn marker. So there you go. Let's do news, huh? That's all. That's all the FNM formats for this one. Our next one's going to be like a draft block, all kinds of drafts. So that should be interesting. Yes. But let's talk about news. So we have a new level three, Sergio Garcia from Spain. I hope I pronounced that right. Hooray. And we have some minor changes to the uh, level three process. Nothing major. But I figured we should mention it. Is, it. is it nothing major, like the definition of minor? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 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 just trolling you. Do you see my um? <laughs> uh, where where was it? Oh, Pod, podcast pros. Podcast pros. Podcast pros. Oh my my comment in star like a show note I had was you can only attack your opponents and spells which only affect your opponents affect only your opponents. <laughs> it's like great show note there. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But it's true. They only affect your opponents, but it's a weird thing to say. It's it's kind of weird because in Star, your your allies aren't your opponents. Yes. Even though, even though you, you're not on a team, they're not your opponent. Yeah. But L3. So basically, they took the, uh, the qualities that they expect an L3 to have. They mixed them up a little. I think they put them down to 10 qualities now. Yes. Um, I don't. Well, here's a, here's a quick summary. Okay. I'll, I'll just read from the article. That is also linked in the show notes. 
So attitude and maturity got merged with teamwork and diplomacy. So the new quality is teamwork, diplomacy, and maturity. Yeah, that that actually ups, uh, uh, upsets me for one reason other than I just I've just have always liked whenever I do something stupid online, I always liked following it up with the phrase, you know, with hashtag attitude and maturity. maturity. Yes. Yeah. Now I can't do that anymore. Yeah, it's sad. No, you definitely still can. That okay. joke's gonna last for a while. <laughs> Hashtag teamwork, diplomacy, and maturity it just doesn't have the ring. <laughs> Hashtag no, maturity is also fine. Uh, so mentorship got merged in with assessment of other judges. <clears throat> and there's a new quality. I'm sorry. Yeah. So this is now named development of other judges. But it just merged those two together because they decided those are basically the same thing. And the written exam <clears throat> is no longer one of the qualities, but you still have to pass it. So there's really no reason for it to be a quality because you have to pass the written exam. It, it doesn't make much sense. Yeah. So, so like, how, how good do you know the rules? Well, did you pass the test? Yes. Okay, good. Then you have this quality. Right. Well, why not just uh, passing the test was already a, a criteria. So it was almost like you it was double. It was counting twice. Right. Like you got credit for equality and you got credit for passing the test. Yeah. Yay. Yay. All right. So now with 10 qualities, if you're a level three out there writing a recommendation for a level two, you have to well, hold on because you got rid of one and then you merged uh, four down to two. So that's only nine qualities. Oh, we're missing <laughs> one. Yes. The main point is, oh, the uh, math quality right there. The that's math the, quality. Oh, the math quality. Well, you know, I'm going to finish my sentence anyways. Now that there are 10, if you're a level three writing a recommendation for a level two, you need to write about seven of the qualities. It used to be that you had to write eight, about eight of the qualities out of 12. Yes. And and I'll I'll, I'll make this. I'll, I'll, and never mind. Yeah, I think that's for the best. So uh, the, the thing, the big thing is they added logistics and tournament operations. Yeah, so this was this was kind of uh, a quality here in the sense of all of the qualities of you know attitude, you know attitude, teamwork, diplomacy, investigations, uh, program philosophy, and construction. We we didn't actually have a quality that was just hey, are you good at running events? So I mean that that was kind of a thread that kind of went through some qualities and we did assessments on, on, on people, but we, we didn't have it actually called out. So now it is, you know, yes, we actually, we, we expect you to be good at events. Shocker, right? Yeah. I'm very glad that this is now specifically called out. Yeah. I think, I think this is a thing. I know there were some L3s that felt like this was being ignored. Um, and I, th I think that this is an important thing to highlight. Right. And it, it's kind of one of these things when you look at when you look at the checklist of what it takes to be L3, it was actually possible to complete the checklist without actually being good at this stuff. Yep. And I mean, I, I would like to think that it would be it would be hard to get the, the L3 recommendation if you weren't uh, if, you, if you weren't pretty, pretty OK at this kind of stuff. Right. But. But calling it out, yeah, it's kind of one of these things where it's like probably at the beginning it just was so obvious of a thing that it didn't feel like it needed to be called out. But just over time, it's it's it become we needed it. So we have it. Yay. Hooray. Hooray. A uh, little bit of other minor news is I made a little I had a little guest spot 
on, on a little up-and-coming podcast called Leaving a Legacy. Uh, you can find it on mtgcast.com. If you, if you really want to listen to me, it was, it was supposed to be like a 10, 15-minute bit, and I think I was on for maybe an hour, uh, just talking about all kinds of things. So you were disproving the, the myth that I'm the one that makes this show run long. <laughs> well, when it's not my show, what do I care? Oh. Like, I I only care about keeping this show short. because I, I would love to compare that to your episodes on other podcasts, Brian. Uh, okay, fair fair point. I think I, I think I, made, <laughs> I think I made the mana pool like four hours one time. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's do uh, let's do a few emails and then wrap this baby up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. All right. First from Martin, he says, "Can you please settle a quarrel my commander playgroup has been having?" First off, do creature tokens die, and if so, do tokens that have death triggers trigger? Uh, yes, and yes. All right. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that's the, to be more specific uh if a token if if a token would die if it was a card and it, then it does die it goes to the graveyard mm-hmm. the next time state-based actions are checked it will cease to exist but before that happens anything that would trigger from it dying uh triggers and then after it ceases to exist all of those triggers are slapped under the stack and uh and they resolve as normal okay so so this next question, I'll go ahead and read it, and then and then we'll discuss it a little bit. Uh, it's from Ryan, and it's about the dash mechanic coming up, the new Mardu mechanic. But he says, I'm playing Kologon, the Storm's Fury. I guess that's a guy with dash. As my commander, and I cast him for his dash cost. What would happen after this point? So the first thing we always say... Uh, we I, really... I, I hate answering questions before the fact comes out. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, I am surprised... <clears throat> I am surprised we answered this, to be honest. Like, even though it seems straightforward. Yeah, I, I, okay, that might have been my bad. I answered it just because I was like, eh. We, we can say with some, because Dash, Dash is casting the card, and Commander yeah. cares about when you cast it. Right. So and I read... also, Dash puts it back into the hand, and we already know Commander rules do not cause, uh, do not let you replace that with going to the uh, command zone, so... But yes, that what I was going to say is, yeah, we, we um, probably won't answer any other uh, questions about new mechanics. Of course, the good news is I believe our next episode will be the pre-release, the FAQ. Yeah, that, that should be next so week. It's, it's it, so it's actually moot. But in general, judges, um, we really try to shy away from answering questions about new mechanics because what if we get something wrong, uh, particularly with Manifest? Like, we could really mess something up right now. Um, I remember when, when Bestow was announced, a lot of judges were like messing it up left and right. And it's like, it's true. just wait, you know, or, or the chain veil. Yeah. The chain veil. That was a big one where people were just constantly messing it up. And, um, yeah, I don't understand that one. That one works exactly like it says it works. If you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, then you, I could see where you would, you could miss, misread it. I mean, it was like, if you put the emphasis on the wrong word, Mm -hmm. I could see where you could. Yeah, I, I could see the mistake. Um, but, but yeah, are, general, so are we gonna are we gonna answer this question or are we just gonna talk I about kinda, how- I kind of just did, but without okay. actually answering it, without breaking yeah, what give I just it, said. Give me answer real quick, and then I want to give a disclaimer about questions about new sets. This is what just happened. Now, like, well, I want to make it specific. Like, okay, if you send, I'll just say it now. If you send us an email with a question about uh, cards or mechanics in an upcoming set, there is the possibility that it simply will not get answered until the release notes for that set come out because we don't want to get it. Uh, we, we don't want to give you the wrong information and we won't have the right information for certain until we get that. 
And that should be the answer that any judge you ask gives you about these things is, hey, wait for the release notes and then look and see if it answers your question. But based, so you want me to actually answer it, even though I already did, I already hinted at it. But based solely on the reminder text, um, you can cast it for its raid cost and that will increment your your commander tax, so to speak. I mean, for its dash cost. Hmm? You said raid cost. Oh, sorry, dash. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's not too much different. It's an alternate cost, just like you can you can cast a commander with more face down, um, and it still increments the uh, the commander tax. And with dash, the card will go back to your hand, and and there's no replacement effect to make that go to the command zone or anything like that. So it'll go to your your hand. And if you cast your commander from your hand, that does not increment the commander tax. The commander tax only goes up when you're casting it from the command zone. <clears throat> yep. All right. All right. Our next email comes from Eric. He actually has a couple different questions, which we will cover real quick. Uh, first is about Enlarge, which is kind of a... It is an oddly worded card, so I can I can understand his confusion. Also, Enlarge I, is a fun card. I own that cat yes. is bigger than a Colossal Whale. You... <laughs> I mean, you oh, didn't... Oh, those fighting words. <laughs> well, it is. It's plus seven, plus seven. That's a large cat. I own uh, a print of the art of Enlarge. It's the only magic art I own. That's awesome. It's up in my bedroom. Straight up, that cat is not larger than a colossal. Uh, Actually, quick quick question. Brian, do you own any uh, prints of magic artwork? Do I own any prints? Uh, Or actual magic artwork? No. Oh. I, I looked into I looked into getting uh, a specific piece of art and it was really really expensive and I was like I got I got a kid that's gonna eventually want to go to college. <laughs> so no. So, did you own any, Jess? I, I own a couple. I have uh I have a print of Dark Slick Shores. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of lands basically. Yeah. Oh, um, and then I have some I have some Charles Orbach art that is not magic but is still awesome. Yeah. I've. I keep considering the uh, what is it, the unhinged uh, lithographs when yeah those sale. are pretty sweet. I wouldn't. I would just buy them straight from the artist's website. Honestly, yeah. The, the The problem is, I think like putting them up and hanging them up is just like a level of geekiness that I'm just not quite ready to cross yet. Uh, I actually have a room that is specifically for all the geek stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's where I would put them. Yeah, I sold it to my wife. I was just like, it's just a, it's just a picture of a giant cat. We got plenty of cat stuff. What's one more? Oh, well. I kind of wanted to get diminished to go with it because it has a regular sized cat and a tiny um, lizard thing. But anyway, Eric had questions about enlarge. Yeah, uh, it's not bigger than a colossal whale. Sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Plus seven plus seven. Did you know that's not necessarily size? I think we we've had that conversation. <laughs> Are you saying it's not the size that matters, Brian? Well, it's. I mean, it's got claws and stuff like that, and you know, maybe colossal whales made out of it, maybe whatever. It also makes the thing made out of catnip, so the cat's more likely to attack it. So, what's this question about enlarge? Yeah, I haven't even read enlarge yet. Target creature gets plus seven plus seven and gains trample until end of turn. It must be blocked this turn if able. And so Eric's question is, he says, so let's say Andrew casts Enlarge on his bear cub and then attacks with it. Nelson has a bear cub and a curtain of light in hand, which says cast curtain of light only during combat after blockers are declared. So probably from portal. That sounds like a portal card. Um, I guess not, though. Yeah, it's from Kamigawa. Target unblocked attacking creature becomes blocked. Draw a card. Can Chels- So he's asking, can Nelson choose to not block with his bear cub and instead use Curtain of Light to block Andrew's enlarged bear cub? So what? No, what's no. Enlarged? No, so- you can't. Yeah, this you. There's a 
a restriction or, or in this case a requirement on blocking and you can't ever get to the point where you could cast curtain of light without blocking if you have a legal blocker if you like if you're bear, if you didn't have that bear cub uh you yeah if you could had, do like, it no creatures that could block or all your yeah. creatures are tapped then you could do it but if you have a legal blocker you actually have to block and then you can't be like but i'm going to cast this curtain of light. yeah not that no. it matters because it has trample <laughs> Right now, now that doesn't that doesn't mean you have to cast the curtain of the the that if you don't have a creature that casting the curtain of light is compulsory. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, you don't have to do that. Uh, but you could do that if you really wanted to. Yeah, but it's got trample, so that's really bad. I mean, maybe you want to draw a card. <laughs> maybe you, you really, really want to draw a card. You maybe. know that there is a rebuke oh. on top of your library or something. Corner case. All right. His next question. <laughs> Involves another weirdo card, Meandering Tower Shell, which is that one that when it attacks, you exile it and you return it to the battlefield under your control, tapped and attacking at the beginning of the declare attacker step on your next turn. So basically, it takes an entire turn to actually hit the opponent. Um, so it swings, exiles, comes back on your next attack step. And he has a clever impersonator. The clever impersonator is copying the uh, the Meandering Tower Shell. Clever impersonator oh, clever. Like, can clone. <laughs> He can clone um, any Nunland permanent. So his first question is, what happens to the impersonator? Does it come back? What happens when it comes back? Yeah. And what happens if it comes back and assuming it comes back and it were to copy a non-creature? So so the clever impersonator copying the turtle attacks, its trigger removes it. Uh, does it return to the battlefield? Yes. Uh, when it comes back, can you choose to clone something different other than the turtle? Yes. Yes. In fact, you may have to if if, if it was <clears> like <throat> their turtle and they attacked and their turtle's exiled right now. Right. And if there's nothing else, well, you just get a, a, a zero zero clever yes. impersonator. OK. Now, if you choose to when your clever impersonator comes back into play, enters the battlefield uh, and you choose to copy a non-creature permanent say a keystone then it is going to be tapped but it's not going to be attacking uh and then his final question is does that act of treason trick that (laughs) does the act of treason trick with dirtle turtle still work on a clone of dirtle turtle and the the answer is is yes it's still going to to be uh, return to the battlefield under your control. So if you steal a clever impersonator that's copying the turtle and you attack with it, it's going to be exiled and then return to the battlefield under your control. So you can steal their clever impersonating turtle. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I think it's fine. Yeah. The way he asked the questions in the email, my reply, I was actually just able to be like, yes, 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 and yes. Because yeah. yes, yeah. he asked the question is like, is like, is this thing that I think right, right? Yes. How about this other thing? Is this other thing that I think right is right? Yes. All right. There you go. All right. That's all the emails. But if you want to email us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also be our 1,000th and second like at facebook.com slash judgecast. Or follow us on Twitter. But who cares how many followers we have at twitter.com slash judgecast. Does anyone know off the top of their head? <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> nope. A few nope. hundred. A few hundred. We have 482 followers. I mean, clearly we're not we're not focused on how many followers we have. Like we we have a thing. We we are very happy that people listen to us, but we're not yeah. all about the getting more listeners. We we've never had uh, like a contest to raise these or we could. Okay. Is that do you want to do that? Well, no. Now we're at a thousand. <laughs> what are we well, gonna do? Have a really long contest, like first to two thousand. I don't know. I don't know. Let's <laughs> let's let's discuss that and and come back to it. Um. All right. Well, I assume you guys don't have anything else to add. No. Uh, nope. Nope. All right. Well, thank you again, all the listeners. I hope this episode was once again informative. My name is CJ Schrader, and I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, and I keep my range of influence limited to me and you. No. Oh. I've actually cast Time Stop on a person in EDH, not because it was convenient or, or the right strategic play. It's just they wouldn't finish their turn.